Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli. Uh, I am excited that there's a Junji Ito secret lair. That's more important. We're putting the news right here. Junji Ito secret <laughs> lair. It's very important. He's great and wonderful. Amazing secret lair. I don't play any of the cards that are in it, but I want it. It's so good. It's very pretty. <laughs> that was Lorelai Weisel. Weisel Labrizzi. I don't even know how to pronounce uh, the Weisel Labrizzi. <laughs> I, I apologize. Yeah, I've only heard it a thousand times. Uh, you haven't heard. You haven't heard it a thousand times because you're only on half of these episodes Ooh, half is generous <laughs> uh and i'm Cristolano, and i have to introduce myself or else people won't be able to tell the difference between me and jay sorry for the assassin's creed episode uh <laughs> being bullied uh yeah yeah if, if you think me and chris sound alike i'm this is jay by the way i, I apologize in advance for the assassin's creed episode it sounds like i'm asking myself questions uh so anyway yeah. news we we really need our own light motifs <laughs> just any composers out there who want to compose little <laughs> light motifs for the the hosts uh please feel free uh so the brothers war story starts the week this podcast drops messed up uh, i believe it starts october 20th so it'll be i think th- uh thursday uh so enjoy it's very good I'm, I'm gonna be glad to finally be able to talk about it it has been really cool seeing like everyone <laughs> all the discussion and speculation about what's gonna happen uh and it's gonna be fun Trust i'm me. just gonna be happy to, to be through the uh the uncanny valley of magic lore where i'm like well technically most of the story was told in a 25 year old novel and i can talk about that because that just is public and exists but also there's stuff specific to this set that isn't that is, you know that is still secret and it's really weird to be just like yeah urza mishra blah 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 tokasia you'll hear about all them in this episode and it just like um i always have like the undercurrent of like i don't think i should be talking about this but also like <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but it's just the book it, it's been weird so in addition to the story there's also an october super drop which i think releases the same day as this podcast uh and in there there's going to be a post malone secret lair uh lorelei if if you recall back to like a minute ago might have mentioned another one uh she was excited for it was two Junji, minutes ago junji ito and there's also uh for you metal gear fans out there uh yoji uh shinkawa is uh has another has a secret lair also so, so they are the artist for uh, all of the like concept art for Metal Gear Solid, all that really cool like abstract, hard-boiled character images uh, are all from Yoji, and they did um, Satoru Umazawa, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah Umazawa. Yeah. So they did the they did the the full art Umazawa. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they did the full art Umazawa. Uh, it looked really cool. Uh, so Metal Gear Solid fans are going to be really excited for this one. Uh, it includes like all like a lot of cards that I when I saw it, I was immediately this is like a windmill slam purchase for me because it's like it's got Tezzeret the Seeker in his style. <laughs> it's got all these other cards in his style. It's it's amazing. Love it. There's also like a couple of space ones, uh, including like a, a spacey strip mine, which is pretty neat. So these I, I can't, you know, honestly, I didn't really think much of the space lands and then i picked up on a whim i picked up uh one of the um collector boosters for infinity and i got the like the foil island with like the special foil treatment and holy crap this looks so good like this is this 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 one might be another purchase for me just to get these uh get these lands in style it's awesome all right but we're here to talk about something else we're here to talk about the brothers war i thought we were here to talk about gundam oh we were talking <laughs> yeah like 
like this that this might be a selling point at the end but yeah if you were here for the <laughs> quote-unquote pre-show or us just talking beforehand we were talking a lot about Gundam because Lorelai has started watching Gundam and I am word is not obsessed but I do I do love me some Gundam. You sounded a little obsessed. <laughs> what? I, I don't know. I I absolutely never hyperfixate on the lore of a franchise I like. I, I don't know what you're talking about, Lorelai. It, it's um, it's funny. I did not start the lesbian one yet. I watched War in the Pocket. Just to clarify that for the listeners. I know all my lesbians in, in my social circle are starting to watch the new show now because of the lesbians, which is great. More people should watch mecha anime uh, in general, but uh, I have not started that one yet. Soon. Mecha anime actually relates to the topic of the day because there's a bunch of mechs in the Brothers War. There sure are. So, yeah. There is. All right, so let's talk real quick about the history of the story of the Brothers War before we talk about the his- in-universe history of the Brothers War. Uh, so the Brothers I, War I, 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 was... Oh, I, I do want to clarify one thing. We are specifically talking about the story of Brothers War, the novel, and the historical <laughs> events. Yes. And not the story of the magic set. The magic set's going to mostly deal with the historical event, but also has their stuff involved. You'll see. <laughs> yes, we're talking about the Brothers War as the historical artifact and not this upcoming set necessarily. Um, which is just, th- these comments are just going to fuel the, the rampant speculations happening. Anyway, so the first set was, uh, the first set to talk about the Brothers War was Antiquities. And because of this, it al- was also at the time known as like the Antiquities War or the Brothers War. Um, and through that, we only got like pieces of this war. It was set up as you were uncovering all of these artifacts like you were uh, an archaeologist uncovering all this and kind of trying to piece together the story. The Armada Comics, which you may remember we had Jeff Gomez on a few weeks ago, uh, the Armada Comics attempted to tackle this story in the Urza Mishra War and uh, the Antiquities War, I think were the name two comics, but uh, they were canceled before the third and the third piece of it came out with the conclusion to the story. Um, so, and those are, those are very divergent from what came later. What came later was a little set called Urza's Saga, which was a prequel set, kind of like the Brothers War, that uh, except it created all new lore uh, and invented this whole long backstory for Urza going into the uh, Weatherlight Saga, or leading up to the Weatherlight Saga. And the green cards from the first set in the block, uh, which you aren't aware of what a block is, back in the day, Magic <laughs> oh my used to God. release sets <laughs> in, so in, old. <laughs> in pairs or three sets, uh, a three set block that were drafted together and were all mechanically and flavorfully linked. Uh, They obviously don't do that anymore. But anyway, the green cards from the Urza Saga, the set, were all from the end of the Brothers War. They were from the Battle of Argoth. Uh, And alongside that came the Brothers War novel, uh, which was the first big retcon in magic history. Uh, Basically completely rewrote what happened in the Armada comics. A lot of the elements stayed, but a lot of things changed as well. Uh, There was also a story in, uh, two stories actually, in the Colors of magic anthology uh one of which took place parallel to the brothers war about a planeswalker who would be appearing in the upcoming invasion cycle bolivar uh and the other was about a character named felden uh which we will get to his story in a minute oh really i didn't i, I didn't know that that's where bolivar's little thing was uh talked yep. about neat yep they they both came from there they were both one of the colors um i think felden was i don't know i couldn't call anyway now today we've got the new set the brothers war card set so this is actually the third card 
card set and the third time story is going to be tackling this particular event. Um, one thing I want to mention is there are a lot of characters in the Brothers War. We're going to talk about a lot of them tonight, but we're not going to talk about all of them tonight. Uh, we will do, we will talk about more of them during Flavor Gems or in a Legends episode that we have later. I, I want to keep the focus a little tighter tonight because if you start get start getting too far out in the weeds, uh, you start losing, start losing focus. It can be hard for us to cover like three short stories in one episode and we're now trying to cover an entire novel. So uh, this is going to be a lot. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how long this episode is, Jay. <laughs> Let's see. All right, we're 10 minutes in. I've, I've got 50 minutes to get this done. What do you mean you? This is a group effort. Yeah, yeah. this is a group effort. I will be providing nothing. You you talk about the events and I talk about Ashton's goth bob. I think that is an excellent division of labor. She didn't have a goth Let's bob do it. yet, though. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, so the novel itself is structured into four parts, each of which uh, corresponds to a decade or two in their lives. Um, the, the longest portion is like a 20, 30 year stretch. Act one uh, takes place between 10 and 20 AR. AR, uh, if you have not listened to any of the Dominaria episodes we had, AR means Argivian Reckoning. It is a, the dating system for, it's the calendar for Dominaria, and it is based on the birth of Urza and Mishra, who are born on the first day and last day of the year, respectively. Uh, so this takes place from when they're about 10 years old to 20 years old. Uh, they are, we usually refer to them as orphaned brothers. Uh, however, their father doesn't actually die for, for a little while to act one. Um, they are sent to live with a archaeologist in the great desert named Tukasia. Now, uh, Tukasia was friends with their father, and there is the implication that if their father didn't send them away to the desert, the two of them might not have lived much long, very long after their father's death. Basically, they're like minor Argivian nobles. Their stepmother basically disinherits them so that uh, her son can, who we never meet, can inherit basically their titles and, and all of that. And these two are sent out to desert to live with this uh, kind of fringe archaeologist who a lot of the Argivian nobility send out to study with in the summer to help them. Basically, it's like, it's almost like a punishment for rebellious youth in their home country, which is Argive. Uh, you might remember that name because there is a new Argive, modern Dominar. Uh, and this is just saying, if you guillotine all the nobility, you don't have to worry about this shit. <laughs> Uh, so they meet uh, two people that they both become friends with there. Uh, well, the first is Loran, or Lo- how do you how do you how are you supposed to say that? I always say Loran, but I guess it's, her name's just Lauren, right? L O R A N. Just Lauren. Just Lauren. I'm just gonna go with Lauren. So they meet Lauren, uh, who I'm, is I'm a, a, I'm a Loran believer. Loran. Right, I'll go. I'll go with Loran. I'm gonna take a hard stance and say Loran. Oh my god. I've no, just that's decided. Wrong. Hundred percent wrong. Anyway, Loran. Lauren. La, the god. Now I'm all screwed up. <laughs> Grieva saying, oh my God, from behind me. Uh, uh, anyway, she is basically like the senior student uh, when they're there. Um, she is a one of Takesia's top students. She shows them the ropes. Uh, it's implied that both brothers have a little bit of a crush on her. Um, Mishra also meets one of the Falaji diggers, which are basically, the Falaji are a um, uh, like a desert culture. There are a bunch of different tribes, uh, but uh, they several of them are employed to be like the, the laborers in the camp to like dig things dig things out that they're um, trying to find. So uh, Mishra makes friends with this uh, boy named Hajar at that time. Uh, over the years, the brothers quickly be- learn 
the ropes. They become some of Takesia's best students. Uh, and between the two of them, they discover and repair a Thran Ornithopter, which is a flying machine. And with this discovery, they're able to find more and more Thran caches. So basically, Takesia had only found scraps for years and years. And with this Ornithopter, they discovered there's actually like an elaborate sky writing system uh, all across the Great Desert uh, where the Thran marked where like their cities and things were um, or caches and of materials. And so they're able to find these places and scout the desert much more easily than they could on foot. And this eventually leads them to a place called the Caves of Koyos. And as they adventure in there, they find a chamber, the, the Chamber of Tagsin or something like that is, is it's in the flavor text. <laughs> Never comes up here, but it's in the flavor text uh, where they find a giant power stone. And when they touch it, just by touching it, it shatters and breaks into two. Uh, and Urza dubs them the Might Stone, which is, of course, the one for himself. And he dubs the other one that uh, Mishra gets the Weak Stone because they can't agree. They both want the other's half of the stone. Urza's stone seems to power up devices. Uh, Mishra's stone seems to make devices weaker. Yeah, so uh, like it, the names. it's easy to get on Urza's case for being like, oh, I named mine the Might Stone and think he's an asshole. But he's literally just describing what each of the stones do. So it's really not his fault. He's just being he's like, like exceptionally like, technical. It's effectually correct. Urza's just like, it's factually correct to name. The best kind of correct. <laughs> and you can't really feel that bad for Mishra for also not wanting the weak stone because like it just turns the power off. Like how how fun is that? No, Chris, it's really good. It's really cool. It it, it does other things, which we'll talk about. It, oh. Uh, that they discover later. Uh, what they don't realize at the time is that this power stone was the thing keeping the portal to Phyrexia sealed. Is this where we do a cutaway gag to explain the entirety of the Thran? Yeah, not, not really. <laughs> Basically, just 5,000 years before this, the Thran were wiped out in a civil war. Uh, the Phyrexian faction, led by Yogmoth, all had to flee his own super weapon through this portal under their capital city, which was destroyed, leaving only these caverns. And uh, behind them, the uh, Re- Rebek, uh, the, a very famous Thran architect, seals the gateway with a power stone containing the soul of her husband. Uh, it's a whole thing. I'm fairly certain we've talked about it in an oh, episode yeah. before. Uh, I am once again, as I have done many times here, going to plug the Spice 8 Rack video, Yogmoth, the Scientific Priestcraft uh, of Eugenics. It oh yeah, actually, a really good video. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's not just about eugenics and Yogmoth. It's also like an actual like point by point plot breakdown of the Thran. So yeah. Basically, if, if you remember Ivan Ooze from the first Power Rangers movie, it's exactly <laughs> like that. So uh, this act ends when the brothers are about 20 years old. Mishra gets a little too drunk, uh, decides to go and confront Urza. They end up having a clash with their power stones. Takesia tries to break it up and she ends up dying as a result. Uh, without her, the camp is forced to disband. Uh, that the night of Takesia's death, Mishra kind of flees into the desert. Uh, all the students go back home to Argive and Urza ends up finding himself in a uh, country to the south called Yodia. Uh, so this brings us to Act 2. Act 2 takes place from well, hold on. when the brother- Pronounce it Yodia? I said Yodia, yeah. I've just pronounced it Yosha forever. Yosha? It, I don't know. I'm going to take a hard stance here and say it's Yotaya. You're not taking a hard stance. You're <laughs> being a gremlin. <laughs> you're taking a hard vowel is what you're doing. Alright, so Act the Part 2, I should say, takes place from uh, 21 to 28 AR. So from when the brothers are 21 to when they're 28 years old. I mentioned already, uh, Urza ends up in Yodia. Uh, he is 
apprentice to a clockmaker, and he learns about this competition where the warlord, who's a big strong man, big himbo, um, although he's he's mean. I, so no, he's he's not a himbo. He's he's a he's just he's just mean. He's a thug. Mean is dude what who he only is. cares about strength. He's a th- I think thug. Term. It's to- toxic masculinity, man. So he declares that the person who can move this super heavy stone uh, can win the hand of his daughter, the princess Caleb and Krug. And uh, Krug, I should also mention, is the name capital city of. And Urza, remembering some Thran automatons, builds one in his spare time and uses it to move the stone because he wins on a technic and he wins on a technicality. What kind of real? You know, I just what kind of eighties real genius shit is this? The nerd wins the strength competition by building a robot. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe Jeff Grubb had just watched that movie <laughs> when he was writing this. I don't blame him. Uh, Val Kilmer uh, used to be very pretty. So, <laughs> uh, the warlord's very mad about this until someone points out to him the military applications of such devices, and then he's all for it. Uh, <laughs> yep. And marries Kayla off to his son. Now, I should mention uh, uh, Kayla off to Urza, who is now his son-in-law. Um, Urza did not do this for Kayla's hand. He did this because uh, the Yodians, as part of the dowry, had a Thran tome that had all the, all of this very interesting knowledge this he wanted the, to acquire. This is the Jalum the rest tome? of this was just the the yeah yeah Yeah. i think so um that's basically all he wanted from this so that's that's not a great start to start to start a marriage uh kayla however was into him because when uh urza was young he was not unattractive so she she had a little bit of a crush on him from having met him at the clocksmith shop again Uh, he's just val kilmer and real genius but not charismatic actually he's not at all like val kilmer but (laughs) uh misha for his part uh is captured by a tribe called the suwardi uh it's a falaji tribe out in the desert um and he is put to work essentially as a slave for them his friend hajar however had joined them as a, a warrior uh and he realizes he basically keeps his friend alive because they were they were going to kill him uh he keeps his friend alive but basically still a slave and um one night urza uh, misha has a dream where he sees like a vision of phyrexia and uh a drag massive dragon engine bursts out of the desert and the only person able to stop it is misha with his weak stone, weak stone. and and he's now from then on able to command these things. Yeah, it it's it's not it's not just about like draining the actual energy of an object. It's also about like weakening a person or target's willpower so that they come under your influence. Um, it's cool. It's very versatile. So the, the Sawardi are very uh, they're a very martial tribe of the Falaji, and through various alliances and conquests, they end up bringing uh, pretty much the all of the disparate tribes under their banner, uh, including. Including the the two city states. Wait, there's a second one. I thought it was just Tomical. Z- no, Tomical and uh, Zigon okay. uh, are both technically Falaji. Tomical is like the ones definitely Falaji. Zigon is more like um, uh, it's more like a port city. So it was originally it. Falaji, but it's more like yeah, cosmopolitan. Yeah. Um, I should mention real quick that Yodia and the Suwardi have like a generation long uh, border skirmish over a section of land called the Sword Marches or the Suwardi Marches. They call them difference uh and they both lay claim to these lands because they've been conquered by one or the other back and forth uh which i'm sure is a perfectly stable place for these two brothers to end up positions of power for yeah it's fine uh, a few years later in 24 ar they both meet their apprentices uh ashnod who is uh a Pretty. artificer working for zigon and is actually uh this is the last falaji outpost that the swardi haven't conquered yet and ashnod ends up creating this device uh that basically keeps 
keeps them from <laughs> keeps the dragon engine from being able to approach. Um, and Mishra is so fascinated by this. He basically recruits her and uh, <laughs> this, the city quickly falls because she is now on Misha's side instead of defending them. She, I, God, I love Ashnot. She's very, she's very pragmatic and likes being on the winning side and just mostly just wants to do her work. She is probably the most interesting character in, in this whole book. She's the most complicated. I think she's my favorite character in the entire story. Not just because she's goth and has a goth bob. Then Urza also meets Tano. So Urza is trying to do everything himself with some, some underlings, but no one who can like work independently of him on artifacts. Uh, and Thanos, who is a toy maker, arrives and he ends up impressing Urza with this like flying snake toy that like springs out and has all these clever mechanisms that Urza gets excited by it um, and by the ideas and thought process behind how they how he put it together that he takes Thanos on as an apprentice. Thanos, I should mention, has uh, real big golden retriever energy. Uh, <laughs> he is he is like the genuinely good person involved in this war. Uh, more more importantly, baby duck energy. Baby duck energy too. Yes, that's um, very important, which we'll get to in a second. <laughs> anyway, a few. I always thought Thanos was a candle maker. He did make the, the candles, but no, he comes from being a toy. Um, so three years later, uh, there ends up after several border skirmishes between the Suardi and the Yodians, uh, they have a peace summit at Corlinda. Uh, now you might recognize this. One of the sagas in Dominaria United is based on this event. And what happens is essentially both there the is? Kadir. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yosha declares <laughs> it war. Is y- Yodia declares yep, war. Yep, yep. Um, so this is based on the event called the Corlinda massacre. Uh, basically, both the leaders of both sides, the warlord and the Kadir, uh, both decide to betray each other at this event. Uh-huh. The Kadir no, plans to assassinate oh, so the warlord, good. and the warlord uh, intends to use Urza's ornithopters to drop bombs using, I should mention, goblin powder. Not gunpowder. It's known as goblin powder. There's some other names for it, but I love that they're just like, well, oh, goblins are the only ones who had any use for it because it's so unstable, like, you just blow yourself up. But they realize you can drop it on people out of the side of a, a ornithopter. It is just powder made of goblins, yes. So but neither brother are aware of this, and in uh, when they the sudden but inevitable betrayal happens, uh, the warlord is killed by the Kadir, the Kadir is killed by the, the warlord dropping bombs, uh, Mishra barely escapes with Ashnod and their dragon engine, and um, Mishra and Urza almost had, almost, they, they were like this close to like making up and, and making up for past mistakes, and then Mishra firmly believes that uh, Urza had planned this betrayal and was just trying to trick him. Him on and good drama. This is this is, this is where basically the the war itself begins because now without the the Suardi leader, his son is kind of I mean frankly he's kind of an idiot. So <laughs> Mishra is able to uh, the the new leader he's able to kind of manipulate from behind the scenes. Uh, about a year passes during which Mishra and Ashnod go to Phyrexia uh, because Mishra realizes he needs more dragon engines. He had a vision of like the portal. He ends up claiming three more dragon engines from Phyrexia, but a Phyrexian demon or praetor, basically a very high ranking Phyrexian named Gix, takes notice and essentially uh, chases him and uh, Ashnod out and follows them to Dominaria. Sure, that's fine. Uh, I'm sure nothing bad's going to come of that. Uh, and then, anyway, at the end of this time period in this, in part two, uh, in 28 AR, there is another peace summit called, uh, this time it's going to 
going to be held at Krug, which I mentioned is the capital of Yodia. Um, Mishra pretends to make up. Uh, there's there's a bit with uh, Ashnod and Thanos become like very unlikely friends because you know they are so completely dif- different. Ashnod so is good. Like, incredibly ruthless, and uh, she ends up nicknaming Thanos like Little Duck because he's like just so genuine and good, and she's like she can't believe it's very much Liliana Gideon energy. That's that's <laughs> the that's the energy from here. She calls him Little Duck. She calls him a baby duck specifically because he follows Urza around like Urza is his mother. Like like he's imprinted <laughs> on Urza and just kind of follows him around. And so she makes fun of him for it. But it's like cute and endearing way. Um, I really like every scene Ashdown and Thanos have together. Uh, so there is, I don't remember the exact details of how it goes down. I believe um, Mishra, uh, oh yeah. So uh, Mishra like attempts to make a deal and his deal with Kayla is like, uh, I want Urza's half. Uh, I want Urza's might stone, and also a night with you. It's it's kind of gross. Like this is very '90s fantasy. Uh, Kayla agrees, which is another kind of gross plot point. Um, but it's minorly important later, at least to one big relationship. Uh, and Urza discovers this as it's happening, so that goes super well. Let me tell you. Uh, Mishra leaves, uh, and Urza follows what he believes to be Mishra's party uh, with his all of his ornithopters that were stationed in the city. Meanwhile, uh, once his ornithopters are gone, Mishra launches a surprise attack with his dragon engines uh, and essentially levels the city. Um, Kayla and Thanos barely escape with their lives. Uh, and during, you know, when they finally conquer the city, um, Mishra basically lets the, the the current leader die, the Kadir's son, uh, and takes power for himself because everyone really respected him anyway. Uh, and so that's how he moves into a position of power. Yeah, I think one of the important things... And no, I no, I guess this is a little more character-oriented. So Beatrice is very charismatic and people like him. Yes. It's not the same as him being good, but people like him. People don't like Urza. Traxos, the Scourge of Krug. Hey, this is where that happens. Yeah, so Traxos is either a dragon engine that was like damaged or, or went inert somehow during this or some later event, because this is an area that's conquered, conquered over time during war. Uh meanwhile, that Gix guy, who I'm sure it's nothing to worry about, fine. uh finds a monastery. Oh and wait, we got to announce act three uh yeah so we're in act three this is this is the majority of the war the the, war the worst proper. part of the war uh from 29 ar to 57 ar it's a so short this is from war. when the when the brothers are in their 30s to when they're in their almost their 60s um gix suborns this monastery uh pl- makes them all they're not really completed but they're, they're like phyrexianized partially phyrexianized they're, they're cyborgs uh they go out into every faction out there and start infiltrating and reporting things back and trying to manipulate events uh and you know nine months after that peace summit where i mentioned that kind of ickiness happened uh harbin is born to caleb and krug and it's not really clear who's the dad because urza had also had relations with his wife it's a whole thing guys like this is this is not touched on it like this is something that i one of the things i said when i was talking to bull as we were developing a set is like urza is harbin's father like he's the one who raises this kid like this is what matters let's not get into this kind of the 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 really the really thing that I wish was not in the book because that's it's the one thing that holds me back from always recommending this book to people I feel like it comes with an asterisk about that 
plotline. Urza is very clear to let everyone know that he has known the love of a woman. Uh, <laughs> That's later. He, he, makes he does very... say that during the invasion block, like 4,000 years later. He's like, you know, in my 4,000 years, I've known the love of a woman. It's an actual line in these books. It's very 90s fantasy. Okay, anyway. Um, I'm a god and also not a virgin, you guys. Uh, <laughs> hey, so this war thing's pretty bad, huh? I wonder what the people of uh, Tercier are thinking about it. Excellent segue. Yeah, Thank you. Got you. So in 33 AR <laughs> is when we have the founding of the third path. Uh, in Teresia City, which is out west, farther west than uh, than the Falaji or, or Mishra's people go, um, they invite like scholars and mystics from all across the continent uh, into form what basically becomes the third path. They're looking for a way out of this war that isn't Urza or Mishra. This is when uh, Loran meets Felden, um, who Felden is like an archaeologist who's worked north near the glaciers. Uh, he also discovers in, in this time period um, a little a little bowl that some fishermen pulled up from the north. I'm sure it'll be fine. We'll talk about that in a second. The bowl, anyway, it's called a silex. Uh, I'm sure probably How do you more. spell that? Oh, God. S-Y-L-E-X. Yeah, it's gone back and forth over years. Uh, the, there are a bunch of other characters in the third path. I'm not going to talk about them. That's going to be like a legend discussion. They're not super important. They're like important characters, but they're not important to the central lot in that in, in quite the, the way some of these other ones are. Uh, I just know Felden is a really popular commander already, so I wanted to give a little bit of background. Uh, and then a few... Uh, during this time... Urza is operating out of Arga. He has a tower there Wait, where hold he on, has hold on. his workshops. Other characters not important. You really put you're gonna leave you're gonna erase Herkel from history. Oh jeez. She discovered no. Herkel's great. Her- Herkel, Herkel discovers so- magic, which isn't like known in Tarissier at this time. That's her main important thing. Uh yeah. She basically the third path are the wizards. They are they they are the wizards of this time period. Herkel discovers that you can draw mana out of the land and and use it to cast spells. Um, Something she learns from the Silex because it has an inscription about memories of the land, yeah. and that's the it. it her Hercules meditations form the basis of magic. That's just important for the Silex later and for Urza later. But yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, so then, a few years after uh, after the third path is founded, uh, Urza ends up presiding over. Uh, he he gets put in charge of Argive and Corlys, which is another neighboring like mer- mercantile nation. Um, basically. They put him in charge because turns out the Falaji don't want to stop at Yodia, and these other countries are very worried. And Urza is the only one who has the ability to create the automatons that, that can fight the Falaji's forces. Uh, within two years of this, of having the combined forces of Argive, Corliss, and I should mention Argive has just a wealth of power stones, which are like these mini magical nuclear reactors used to power all of these devices. <laughs> yeah, basically, they're basically nuclear cores. Yeah, and <laughs> and. And because uh, Argive, I mentioned before, remember, they're the ones who are sending their nobility uh, to out to the desert to study with Takesia. They have a whole bunch of people who at least know the basics of artifice and uh, are able to work with Urza and they're able to rapidly build up their forces. Uh, and so within two years, they're able to reconquer Yodia uh, and they want to push to the Falaji capital, which is Tamakul. You, you heard us mention that a bit earlier. However, uh, the battle lines there ended up, end up stalemate 
stalemating for years. They're just like years and years of trench warfare. Meanwhile, in the Western side of things, or the Falaji are fighting a battle on two fronts because they're trying to push through to Teresia City, where the third path is, and Ashnod is able to uh, sack the city and destroy it, but not before Hercule disappears, straight up disappears a bunch of dragon engines. <laughs> yep, that's Hercule's recall. <laughs> uh, she does not, however, stop the living and breathing forces who rush forward and stab and kill her. Then by 43 AR, uh, which is about five years after Urza reclaims Yodia, uh, Urza's forces that had been pushing towards Tamakul are routed uh, because Ashnod had uh, freed up all the forces on the Western Front and they're able to all move to the Eastern Front and um, Thanos is captured. Uh, Ashnod returns to discover that Thanos has, Thanos has been captured and uh, ends up freeing him. Uh, and because she's a little bit worried because the Gix's, Gix's people, the Gixians, seem to be having an inordinate amount of influence on Mishra. Mishra's old friend Hajar uh, also, you know, is kind of getting pushed out of the inner circle, as is Ashnod. Uh, and so she frees Thanos to kind of warn Urza uh, about what's going on here. And also she feels like she owes him because back during the uh, uh, the fall of Krug, uh, uh, Thanos basically kept her alive, uh, kept her from being killed by the Yodians um, or basically she gets left behind when Mishra leaves at first uh, and he keeps her alive and lets her free uh, when the siege is happening so that she can escape and not get killed at the siege. So Ashnod feels a little bit like she owes him. Uh, she kind of likes the little duck, baby duck, uh, and frees him. But he goes have, home. They, they just have this nice Right. Friendship feels like a strained where there's a they have a mutual, mutual respect. respect. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um that is it almost feels like they're the only two goddamn normal people left in this war is the vibe. They it feels like if they weren't on either side of this war, they could be they could be friends despite like their huge differences. And also the fact that Ashnod basically turns corpses into flesh puppets. Yeah, that's but, fine. You know, that's a whole that's a whole whatever. Whatever. Don't yuck her yum. <laughs> uh so Ash Ashnod ends up getting exiled by Mishra, leaving basically only the Gixians to influence him. And uh, she becomes a raider out west. And out there, she discovers Loran, who is escaping, uh, still escaping the, the fall of Teresia City with the Silex. She's supposed to meet up with uh, Felden to the north, uh, but she's intercepted and tortured by Ashnod for the secrets of the Silex. Uh, meanwhile, Thanos returns home and the Gixians are expelled from Urza's court because uh, Thanos is like, you know, they're also talking to your brother and Urza's like, what? No, you guys got to get out. And anyway, then there's 12 <laughs> years of escalating war. Jay is a nerd. Yeah, thanks, Chris. <laughs> uh, I'm, read- I'm reading through our, uh, our, our outline. Look, here. I had to contribute somehow to this episode. And so that meant <laughs> s- slipping little insults into the agenda. Okay. It's great. So there's there's 12 years of war where things get worse and worse. Basically, the, the war get, uh, pollutes the continent. Uh, they strip all the resources. All the forests are chopped down. Like, it is... It is not a great place to live anymore. Yeah. Like, there's a generation of kids born who've never seen a forest. Well, yeah, and, and this is the part where the power stones essentially being nuclear cores is important because they are magically radioactive and are starting to decay. And so uh, the, the war grinds on so long that uh, nobody knows how to make power stones. They're all excavated from Thran ruins. And so uh, part of the issue is like there just isn't anything left on the mainland for them to build massive war machines out of it would be really cool if they there was like a machine or something nearby like really close by that could make power stones 
They don't know about Shiv. Yeah, it takes Urza like 4,000 years, 3,000 something years to discover that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, in 55 AR, Harbin, Urza's son, as I mentioned before, uh, let me talk about their relationship for a second. <laughs> Urza is never quite sure if Mish- if Harbin is really his son and kind of vacillates between like, oh, you know, doting on him and actually being like a loving parent and also being like Harbin is kind of a symbol of everything bad that happened between him and his brother and he keeps his distance. You know, like he provides for him, but he's not exactly a warm and loving father. He's 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 Urza. He's cold and he's technical in many of his. Um, and, you know, Kayla and Harbin have a very warm and loving relationship. Because Kayla's uh, nice. Kayla's Kayla's a good person for the most part. Yeah, she's uh, she's cool. Like I one thing I, I wanted when we were talking when I talked to people beforehand about the story is that uh, we wanted Kayla to, to, to not come off quite like she did as a 90s fantasy princess uh-huh. <laughs> in, the, in the book. Uh, so maybe maybe you'll see that. Well, and so that's, that's the thing about the novel and like the, the moment where she sleeps with Urza and Mitra uh, is like that moment just feels so out of place compared to the rest of the things she does in the story too. It's just... Yeah, as she slowly goes from kind of like spoiled princess to like powerful and feared queen. And co- um, most importantly competent. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, Harbin, uh, he ends up, he really wants to be a pilot, an ornithopter pilot. He wants to really, he wants to impress his father. Uh, I should also mention Thanos basically becomes like his, his surrogate father figure. Um, and there's also some continuity weirdness because like in the comics, um, Thanos is implied to have maybe had an affair with Kayla that is not, in, the book doesn't quite allude to that as much as the comics do. Uh, but there there is like a minor implication that uh, that, that might be the case. In any case, uh, on one of his uh, patrols, Harbin gets caught up in this massive perpetual storm off the southeast coast and ends up inside the storm and crash lands on this rich, verdant island. Um, He is able to uh, fix his ornithopter and fly back out uh, and report news of this place, basically because there's a particular, I don't remember if it's a fairy or an elf, there's like a a fantasy creature who's a shore guy who... uh, who's a shore guard who is basically like the orders don't specifically say kill anyone who discovers us. Is this Gwenna? Gwenna, yes. I believe she's an elf. Yeah. Uh, she's like, she becomes interested in Harbin, like clinically interested in Harbin and doesn't want to see him die. Uh, but there's like a law that if any intruder like harms the island, like Harbin needs wood to repair his ornithopter uh, and he is about to like hack down a tree for it and uh, Gwenna finds him like a deadfall, like, like already dead wood wood uh that he can use instead so he discovers that and uh she doesn't have to kill him uh of course she then immediately regrets that well within a couple years regrets that because harbin leaves goes home and reports back to his father um and that leads us into act four or part four this is the last six or seven ish years of the war from 57 ar to the dates there's a little bit of date confusion here um so the end of the war and the detonation of the silex blast which we'll get to in a second happens on like basically New Year's Eve and so like Misha's it's, birthday it's yeah it's it's yeah <laughs> there's a little bit of confusion there basically the story ends on the first day of the next year however like the novel dates it as 
has 63 AR instead of, you know, 64 AR. So there's there's just a little bit of cotton weirdness there. Uh, in any case, so the leader of these like fey peoples, so like elves, fairies, centaur, human druids on Argoth is a marrow sorcerer named Titania. Um, Titania is... Angry? Angry, yeah. So <laughs> you know, basically I'm gonna, she's... I'm going to take a hard stance here and say it's pronounced Titania. Titania. I think that's how we should do it. How dare you, Chris? You know, I used to pronounce it very weird till I realized it was uh, just a Shakespeare name. You know, uh-huh. they take it from a Midsummer's Night Dream. Oh, ooh, I know that one. I can talk about Midsummer Night's Dream. So can I. I can contribute. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, look, look, Chris, Chris, we, we can talk about Midsummer's when we go to Eldraine next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so a few things are happening here. Both brothers end up invading the island. Uh, someone passes the information off to, uh, basically, one of the Gixians uh, passes the information off to Mishra to kind of influence a conclusion to this war so that Urza doesn't overtake Mishra. Uh, so they both, like, clear-cut this this massive resource-rich forest as fast as they can. Uh, Ashnod arrives, realizes Mishra is fully gone. Mishra looks young again. He shouldn't look young again. He's in his 60s. Something's wrong. She has a secret handoff uh, where she gives the real Silex to Thanos because she does not believe Mishra should have it anymore uh, and gives the fake Silex to the Gixians who demand it from her. Uh, oh, I should mention, she creates a fake Silex. There are like five or five potential Silexes in magic that it's it's very funny. Like Karn Silex being named Karn Silex is funny because it may or may not be the Silex we were, that Urza uses here because there, there's a whole bunch of different Silexes. It's just, it's a lot. And then there's Ravidels. Oh, and then there's, yeah, there's Ravidels. Uh, even Freilise makes one to use the world, to cast the world spell. Like there's, there's a whole bunch. There's the one Karn finds, which may or may be, may or may not be any one of these other ones. I suspect it's Freilise's. Um, there's Urza's, there's Ravidels, there's the fake one. There's a bunch. Honestly, just go find a decorative bowl and call it a Silex and you're good. You're <laughs> set. You got one. We have a, a live listener comment. Dominarians love their soup. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's just that like, hey, Antiquities created the story where there was this obscenely powerful nuclear weapon and the rest of magic lore for like the next five years was like, hey, what if we did our version of it? Yeah, yeah. That's basically what happened. It was actually um, the first one to use it was Raphael in the comics. Uh, but then Jeff Grubb invented like three of them because we has uh, Ashnod's fake one in the Brothers War novel and the real one in the Brothers War novel. Plus he did wrote the Ice Age stories and in the Ice Age stories he incorporates uh, the Silex into Freilise's world spell yeah. uh, which the comics had also covered the world spell but I don't think they, they included the Silex. Uh, I don't think so because that's uh, Ice Age number four with the Jail comic and that's mostly focused on Jail stuff. Hilariously none of them would have ended up in Yavamaya where because yeah. <laughs> they're all because even Freilise used hers it was in um, Findorn. Findhorn which was again to the southeast and Argoth was to the southeast of this continent but anyway that's a whole separate thing. I, I still think that's just a continuity error from Time Spire. It is. It's 100% a continuity error. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, I know it's an error. I'm pretty sure it's just because they got the rift location wrong in Time Spiral. And, and then it just compounded. Yeah. That, that's what happens sometimes in lore. Yeah, it's whatever. Okay, final battle. Uh, <laughs> Urza, Urza and Mishra are against one another. Um, I should mention Ashnod ends up facing down Gix. Uh, and the next time we see Gix, he's covered in blood. Uh, so it is implied that he killed Ashnod, but we don't actually see it. Um, Gix reveals himself, essentially, takes control of the artifacts on both sides of the brothers. Uh, Mishra what? ends up fusing with this dragon engine, which we've seen, we've already seen the meld. Wait, hold for. on. Gix was the villain manipulating both sides the whole 
time? What? Oh my god. Yeah. He was planning yeah. a new Phyrexian invasion to reclaim Dominario? What? No, the no, no an original Phyrexian invasion. New Phyrexia is like oh, way god. far off from here. <laughs> I guess this would be considered um, the first Phyrexian invasion of Dominario. That's fair. Reinvasion? Because they're native. You can't invade the place <laughs> you're from. Well, they've become a distinct. Anyway, no, I'm not even going to get into this. We've got like <laughs> 10 minutes left. A little less than 10 minutes left. Uh, all right. So then Urza left with no other choice, realizing his brother's gone, um, reads the inscription on the Silex, pours like his memories of the land, basically channels his magical power uh, into the Silex and it detonates and it just wipes out everything. Uh, he ends up killing Harbin, although I don't know if he ever realizes that. Uh, it ends up affecting another character we'll talk about. Uh, Gix basically teleports back to the caves of Coyolos and barely escapes with his life. Um, but he he flees and like slinks away basically. Uh, and I should mention the reason why it takes so long for, uh, takes another like 4,000 years for Phyrexia to invade is detonating the Silex created like a the start of a interplanar barrier between Dominaria and like 11 other planes. It's called the Shard of 12 Worlds. Uh, so while the Ice Age was happening, Phyrexia could not access Dominia anymore. Uh, and yeah, that's basically the end. We get a, um, we get an epilogue where we learn that Thanos has survived uh, because he hides in a, um, it's called, well, the artifact Thanos's coffin. Uh, it was meant to be a device to prison Mishra to capture him and bring him back uh, for trial or whatever Urza was going to, I don't recall what plan exactly beyond that was. We just know Urza didn't really want to have to kill his brother and wanted an option. Yeah, it's, it's like a stasis tube. Yeah, it's like a stasis tube. Uh, five years later, uh, Urza, now a planeswalker in this, uh, who fused with the Mightstone and Weakstone in the uh, Silex Blast, gets Katanos out of the coffin out of stasis uh, and tells people to remember him not as he was but as he tried to be um which is a very fun sentiment uh-huh uh, and that's where the novel ends uh it's very sad things things go badly the ice age happens most people die the dark happens before that yeah it's a lot of stuff i'm not gonna get into all that now however the other stories that are connected to this so we have expeditions to the end of the world which is about captain crucius who is a uh, privateer during the events of this war uh he ends up having a daughter that changes his life like he gives up the privateering tries to go straight and then like becomes a cruise ship captain basically yeah he becomes he becomes a cruise ship captain the expeditions to the end of the world to 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 make money uh his daughter however dies young she has like a terminal illness uh and he names his he names his ship after her uh and he's just kind of sickened by like the argivian nobles he's ferrying to argoth to to watch kind of the war progress and he is on one of these uh when the silex blast goes off uh and we learn later that he is the planeswalker Bo Lavar, who is one of Urza's nine titans um, later on. So that was his origin story. So when did Captain Crucius uh, create Ethereum? No, unrelated. Crucius. Okay. So this is Crucius with an A, C-R-U-C-I-A-S. The Sphinx planeswalker Crucius has a U, C-R-U-C-I-S. Completely different character, not confusing at all. So anyway, Lauren that smile. happened. Very happy uh, then we get, Then we move into uh, Lauren's smile, which is 70 three AR. So it's about a decade after the war. Yeah. Very happy story. Uh, Lauren dies. Um, she dies. She's like, she's basically disabled for the rest of her life because of the, the torture that Ashna did. Uh, and she ends up succumbing, dying early because of, she's got like lung infection. There's something wrong with her, uh, from her time in, uh, Ashnod's captivity. Uh, and Felden wants to bring her back. So he goes through, basically he goes through every color of magic. He goes and meets some mentor and tries to bring her back 
back, but it's never the right thing. It's never the real thing, right? You know, it's it's like even the white aligned resurrection isn't real. It's like a copy of her. Um, but he through all this, he learns to let go. Uh, but he also becomes a five five mana wizard, like pretty much every character back in the day was. <laughs> Whole lot of five mana characters. Um, his card, the red card, uh, shows him uh, holding like an automaton head, and one of his early efforts was to create like artifact copy of her. He basically creates a fembot version of his wife. Uh, it's not great. <laughs> uh, and obviously he's like, oh, this isn't really her. Like, what am I doing? Uh, and that's when he goes out and tries to learn magic from all of these different places. Uh, and one last note I want to add in here is um, Gix does try again. Gix, is, uh, when he flees back to Phyrexia, he um, brings all the, of the all of his disciples with him and they become essentially the flesh stock for uh, sleeper agents, the original Phyrexian sleeper agents. Uh, however, they all look like young, ad- kind of like genderless uh, young adolescents. Uh, they, they're, they've got like an uncanny valley thing going on um, and they all get killed by xenophobic people <laughs> yeah. around 84 AR. All, all the people on Dominaria are very genre savvy and don't trust the horror movie children. <laughs> That's exactly it. I can't blame them. I'm sorry, but always... if you see the children of the corn, you kill them. That's just common sense. So Ashnod is one of the few, not Ashnod, I'm sorry, uh, Zancha, uh, who we've talked about a lot and has her own legendary card now, uh, is one of the few of these original sleeper agents to survive. She ends up, uh, oh, that's a whole different novel. But anyway, that's just, that's how it, how it's related. It's like 15 years later, uh, or I should say 20 years later, Gix tries these sleeper agents again. By the time it fails, he gets like punished in Phyrexia for both of these failures. Um, and by the time he's ready to try again, uh, Phyrexia is like blocked off to them. Uh, and that leads us forward to the Weatherlight Saga. Yeah. So that is the Brothers War. That isn't every story that takes place during the Brothers War. There are a couple old novels that have like bits or pieces around there, but mm-hmm. they're just, they're not related to anything. It's not worth, not worth talking about. That's it. Have I talked, do, th- do you think I've talked enough? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's the novel. Um, yeah. So, um, and that is it for the Brothers War until later this week, for those of you listening to us on the release week. And maybe you'll learn more about the Brothers War. Maybe not. Who knows? I can't, I certainly can't tell you yet. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> I Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, so the, the answer to the question of who knows is you. You just can't oh, say. Oh, it's me. It's true. It's me. It's me and like. It's, it's me too. I, not, I can't even tell you who the author is. So I was about to say a name, but I'm, I'm not going to say the name. Ooh, I want to know the name. You can just, just DM me the name. It's fine. It's fine. No, I prefer to torture you. <laughs> like Ashnod did. <laughs> Uh, All right, let's move on to final thoughts. My final thoughts is I am, because of Lorelai and Chris's relentless destiny propaganda, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I am trying Destiny 2 again. Uh, I found it was easier rather than jumping back in after like a three-year gap. Mm -hmm. It's actually better to just start fresh Mm -hmm. and start a new character because my character that I had put at least 20, 30 hours into in the game uh, was underleveled for even the most basic gameplay for for this i was like 200 light shy of the basic bottom level gameplay modern game so you know if you're if you're thinking about returning to destiny you're you're best off just creating it depends what the content is a lot of the content is at minimum light which is 1350 uh but the the current a lot of the current stuff is up in the mid 1500s so yeah yeah jay's still a little baby guardian yeah i want to get that gundam armor though speaking of gundam they got this giant robot armor festival festival 
pull the lost does start uh does start shortly uh next reset so uh yeah i'm excited for the the mecha armor it's very good uh my final thought um i had it i had it what was it Crap. well we lost that one uh <laughs> no thoughts head empty no thoughts head empty uh it wasn't destiny it wasn't gundam uh oh it was a joke though i remembered it now it was a gundam related joke uh and the, the big important uh takeaway from brothers war i think um some some people think like oh if you could sum up the lesson of the story it's that wow war is bad but false it's actually wow cool robot yeah it's true <laughs> it's it's all about the cool robots it's not about how war is bad at all god i i can't wait for previews to start for the set like the visual uh <laughs> The art direction for the this art set direction is for phenomenal. the set is outstanding. Oh, we outstanding. should also mention Andor is freaking fantastic. Yeah, I I'm not caught up on Andor yet. I've watched the first three episodes. It's really good. Uh, that's so. What I will recommend is watch them in three episode chunks. It seems how they're doing the arcs. Yeah. So they're they're each like a, a mini movie uh, that's like a crime or spy thriller. Uh, Andor is doing exactly what I wanted it to do, which is telling a genre story set in the Star Wars universe. Nothing else in Star Wars really matters to what Andor is doing. There's like little bits and pieces from, from other stuff, but it's like pretty self-contained and it is sticking to the genre principles. This is like an 80s style spy thriller. Very, very excellent. Yeah, I should note this is not like the Mandalorian where it's reference, you know. It's like it's Mando season one. References solo. Yeah. Mando season one was great. Mando season two was... In the way it was, a, in the way Mando season one was a Western. Yeah. This is very much a spy thriller. Yeah, uh, it's very good. The casting is a absurd holy they got in the in that first arc the guy they got for the 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 corpo inspector guy god you look at him and you can just tell he's some sycophantic nazi cop who's like <laughs> incompetent it's a perfect look perfect look you know one thing that i think uh, we often forget about star wars is that the empire is just like nazis and stormtroopers are not cool literally nazis yeah they're literally nazis anyway chris final thought yeah, yeah my, my final thought which is not going to be destiny because Jay kind of did it already, uh, even though I really love Destiny right now, uh, is that the uh, World Championships for League of Legends are happening right now, uh, literally as I'm talking, but also like like it, over the course of like the last week and upcoming weeks. Um, and uh, as of recording, uh, North America's teams, so the three teams from the United States, uh, have one win among all three of them in this stage of the, of the tournament, which means out of 10 games played, they have won one game, and I'm very proud of them. Uh, I know very little about you know the big professional esports but uh everything i know tells me that that is about accurate for what north americans usually do in these kinds of uh, events it's it's incredibly embarrassing <laughs> is what it is they they could not even manage wins off of teams that were considered worse than them and it's just uh it's welcome to na in league of legends it's not very good <laughs> all right oh lorelei <laughs> if you also want to be not very good <laughs> i guess if you also want to support people who are not very good at League of Legends. <laughs> hey, I am perfectly passable. Thank you very uh-huh. much. You can't set me up for trans jokes like that. Um, uh, <laughs> you can head over to patreon.com slash the Porthos cast uh, and support us uh, starting the moment that you hear this part of the episode. Uh, everyone who does gets access to our Discord community where Porthoses from around the world are about to get ready for Brothers War. Stories, cards, it's happening. Uh, this is the place you want to be. We're going to have one week of stories 
story and then uh, launch it to previews at the, the in only like a week and a half. Week and a half? Week and a half. Um, from when this episode's out. Uh, now is the time you want to hop in the server if you want to be around a whole bunch of other people who are excited for all the things you're excited for, which, again, is cool robots. Um, or should be cool robots. It might be goth bobs. I don't judge. Um, and uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, the Wii sure did uh, shoot the shit about Gundam a lot. Uh, if you would like to be part of a uh, slightly higher um, uh, fledged tier, there we go, that's the word I was looking for, uh, you can be part of the live listen tier. We record Thursday nights around 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you get to hang out with us a little bit before and after the shows. Uh, you get to hear the episodes um, a handful of days early before they get uh, uh, before they go live and before they get edited. Uh, so you get you, you get, get to hear full- all my mistakes, all the ones that Chris doesn't edit out. <laughs> Oh, I leave all your mistakes in. Oh, awesome. Okay, then never mind. There's no value. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's fun. (laughs) We have a good time on the show, and we have a great time with our listeners. You're wonderful folks, and we greatly appreciate you. So thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos cast. Jay usually says that part, but Jay is here a lot, and I accidentally said it. Sorry, Jay. Not that sorry, (laughs) though. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs)